Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. And welcome back into Inside the Clubhouse for Saturday, November 17th. I'm David Schuster. He's Bruce Levine. And, Bruce, we have a very, very special guest right now. I'll let you do the introductions. The minor league pitcher of the year joining us uh, from the Chicago White Sox, MLB.com's number one pitcher and uh, probably the top prospect pitching-wise in the minor leagues. Dylan Cease joins us uh, on Inside the Clubhouse. Good morning, Dylan. How are you? Good morning. Thanks for having me. I'm doing yeah, great. How are you? Yeah, thanks for joining us. You know, I, I got to talk to you in spring training a lot, and, and uh, myself and a lot of the other people covering the team, you know, I had a lot of curiosity about you because you were in that big trade that along with uh, Eloy Jimenez going to the uh, White Sox from the Cubs for Jose Quintana. And in some people's ideas, you know, you were a curiosity because of the fact that uh, you were so highly touted, but you hadn't pitched much. What was the uh, the ability to throw twenty three games and and pitch healthy last year? What what did that do for you as far as progressing along? Yeah, that was huge. Uh, a, a really big part of the minor leagues is uh, building up your your innings so that you know you can keep throwing more and more year after year. So um, this was I, I threw I think a little bit more than thirty thirty innings more than I did last year. So um it was it was great for that standpoint and uh now I just gotta get my body ready and you know to to throw more next year. This hour brought to you by Grandview Homes. Grandview will buy your home today. Go to Grandviewhomes.com. Dylan, what are you doing here in the off season specifically, you know, to get ready for next season? Yeah, so far uh it's just been uh weightlifting, uh some Pilates and a little bit of yoga. So um, you know, just trying to take care of my body as best as I can and put myself in a position to uh, make it through a season. How much do you allow the fact that at 22 you're still growing into your body and that uh, the strength and, uh, you know, some of the other mass that comes along with uh, growing into 22, 23, 24 is still going to be a a process for you to get used to? Yeah, I mean, uh, I welcome any any strength that uh, wants to come in, but... um, yeah, you know, I'm not I'm not that worried about it. Um I'm just gonna take it day by day and keep control and I can control and you know, so I can be ready. The organization usually has exit interviews for all their players. That's a that's pretty common at all levels now. What was the, what was the message that the White Sox uh, kind of uh gave to you? What did what what message did you give them back about your season and about where you're going with the organization right now? Yeah, they basically just said that, you know, they were happy with my season. Um, Trying to think specifically, that was a while ago. Um, you know, they were happy with my season. Um, keep doing what I've been doing. And, you know, don't don't feel like I have to overdo anything to, you know, be even better or any of that. Just keep following my process and, uh, you know, get ready for next year. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, I was, I was happy with it too. So we were on the same page with, with everything. Hey, Dylan, uh, Bruce and I both talk to scouts all the time, both in-season and, and after the season, and um, he more than I. But 
the, the, it was unanimous in talking to scouts. They said that you were not only the best White Sox pitcher in the system that they saw all season, that you were the best pitching prospect they saw throughout the entire minor leagues. I know you're not going to get an overly big head about that stuff, but certainly comp- compliments are never a bad thing. I mean, how do you feel about people being impressed by what you did this past season? Yeah, that's, um, you know, I, I feel really grateful that people feel that way. Um, for me, I, I try not to get buy too much into hype or any of that stuff because it can it can take you away from what you actually have to do to you know um, do well. So I'm I'm that is exciting and I'm very grateful to hear that. But at the end of the day, uh, I have to do it consistently and you know keep getting even better if I really want to be where I want to be and be able to help the team win. So um, yeah, that is exciting though. I'm happy to hear that. The uh, you know the analysis I got from the scouts that I talked to was not only are your pitches difficult to hit, and they said a curveball when you're commanding it that's uh, comparable to some of the greats that they've seen, but also that your um, the, the competition that you bring out with you and the uh, the drive is is different too. Can can you talk about uh, having gone through those injuries and deal, dealt with that before, and and now going through a, a complete season where you can just let it all fly? And how 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 much different that is for you as far as trying to attain the persona that goes along with the stuff that you have? Yeah, the the first years of my career were definitely um, very limited because of the injury and the rehab, but uh, I, I think that taught me how to be patient and like follow a process. So uh, taking that into pitching now, it's now that I've, you know, have free reign pretty much. Um, it's kind of helps me figure out how to build my base and my stability and, and um, you know, st- stuff like that. So, uh, <clears throat> well, uh, what was the second part of your question? You know, just uh, b- building, not only building, you know, your stamina, but building the persona of who you are out there. You know, every, yeah outstanding pitcher that comes through eventually has the persona and kind of the, you know, the character that you, you show out there uh, as part of being a, a pitcher. Yeah. Um, that's for persona. I really don't feel like I, um, you know, pretend to be anything or anything like that. Right. Uh, I, you know, I just try to be calm, relaxed and, and intense at the same time. Um, and execute pitches. I don't have to, you know, I don't have to act mad or angry or any of that. That's not going to get the job done. If executing pitches is going to get the job done, so um, hopefully my persona is this guy's focused and he's going to do what it takes to execute a pitch and get somebody out. Hey Dylan, for me and for so many others, pitching is always going to be the name of the game in baseball, and and the White Sox with you included, have a surplus of young pitchers, and timing is a great thing in sports. You're coming along at the right time. Michael Kopech, unfortunately, with the arm injury this year, but he's still young, and he's got a great career in front of him. Uh, you got Ronaldo Lopez, who proved this last season that he's got incredibly good stuff. Alec Hansen, and there's so many others. And you used the word excitement a little bit earlier. How exciting for you, and I don't know if you've talked to some of these other guys about this, that maybe you all come together at the same time, eventually at the major league level, to form a nucleus of a heck of a pitching staff. Yeah, it's it's very exciting. We have we've definitely talked about it. Um, it's very it's very fun to dream on. You know, yeah, we could have nine starting pitchers all sit in ninety eight. You know, stuff like that. But um, yeah, I think I think we're all just at the same time trying to focus on getting you know better and more consistent so that we can be those guys 
Um, so I know for me, it's for me. I'm not really, really big into like talking myself up or buying into hype, just because it it can really get distracting at the same time. So um, you know, I'm sure the other guys are probably similar, and especially like the big league guys, they know they know even more what it takes. Ronaldo Lopez, you know, he's been there and he does have great stuff. So um, I think a lot of us, you know, guys that haven't been there can can learn from him and even learn from you know any anyone really. So. Uh, I think we're all just trying to get ready and, and get there. I know uh, you haven't been at the same level as Eloy Jimenez all the time, but you came from the same place over to the White Sox in the same deal. What do you think uh, he's going to bring to the uh, Chicago Cubs next year when they finally bring him up? Uh, Chicago White Sox, rather, the Cubs wish, but uh, Chicago White Sox next year when they bring him up. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's one of the best players I've ever seen. So, um, you know, if he does he does anything like he's been doing in the minor leagues and the big leagues, he's going to be a superstar. And uh, I don't expect anything less from him. And I think that he's he's confident. I don't think he's going to be, you know, I think he's going to be too, I don't think he's going to be nervous or any of that. I think he's going to go out and keep doing what he's doing and, uh, you know, hopefully dominate like he's capable of doing. And, and you're coming up in the Cub organization. I know uh, both you and Eloy have been, uh, very complimentary of uh, that beginning to your career. What what was that like for our listeners, and uh, how do you, how do you feel about it uh, once you got over the fact that you you got traded to the White Sox? Yeah, they had a they had a really good structure, um, like a developmental structure, and uh, so for me it was it was nice to you know they I mean they basically taught me how to how to weight lift, how to you know do shoulder care, how to how to be more professional, all of that. Um, you know, they have a, a good mental strength program. They have, you know, a lot of, a lot of good stuff for younger players there. Um, so I, I am grateful that I was able to see, you know, able to learn like a, a process and learn, you know, that from them. And then when I was traded, I got to the White Sox. I'm, I'm you know, I, my development has, has taken off as well because the coaching is, is, really great so i've really had the best of both worlds and uh, i couldn't be more grateful dylan we are too for you joining us today thank you so much uh, have a great holiday season look forward to seeing you at sax fest in january and in spring training in glendale awesome thank you for having All me right. thanks thanks you dylan dylan cc top pitcher in the minor leagues for your chicago white Sox. not just for the white Sox, but the entire minor leagues uh He's going to be fun to watch come along. Hopefully the the injuries are all behind him, and uh, it's just clear sailing for him and a lot of the good young pitchers in the White Sox organization. You know, Bruce, as I was mentioning some of the names potentially of building a staff around, I was getting excited, and I think he actually he was too. He was, he was sort of uh, keeping it a little on the calm side, but again, Michael Kopech's got to come back from his surgery, of course, and I think he will. He's young, and you know these guys usually come back sometimes even better than ever from these Tommy John surgeries. Ronaldo Lopez at times last year was incredibly dominant, and he's obviously very young. Alex Hansen, there's a lot of good stuff being talked about him. He's got to come back from some injuries as well. Always a lot of ifs in baseball, but the Sox, and we've heard this so many times in my lifetime about the White Sox having potential really good pitching staffs. Here's another potentially very good pitching staff if a lot of things come into play. More White Sox, Cubs, everything baseball. Here on Inside the Clubhouse, David Schuster and I will be with you until 11. And then more with, uh, of course, uh, people sucking so you don't have to.
Steve Rosenblum coming up at the top of the hour at 11 o'clock. I'll be in with him. That's up until 2 o'clock this afternoon. Then at 2 o'clock, we have Iowa at Illinois College Football. We have the Bulls game later this evening against Toronto. That's at 645 after that CBS radio. But we're going to take a quick break here right now. And coming up at the bottom of the hour, 1030, we have Bill Brick, who is going to be coming on. He's a scout for the Arizona Diamondbacks. He covers this part of the country. He sees a lot of the Cubs. He's a lot of bit, a lot of the White Sox as well. So we'll get some interesting stuff from him. 312-644-6767. And Bruce, I'm looking forward to this interview with Bill Brick. And uh, we also want to take some phone calls before we We get out of here. absolutely do. All right. um, We're going to take a quick break here right now. We'll be back right after this. 1020, welcome back into Inside the Clubhouse for Saturday, November 17th. Our number, as always, 312-644-6767. You, of course, can always text us at 67011. I'm David Schuster. He's Bruce Levine. You know, Bruce, one of the things that sort of hit me a little earlier in the show, and I think it's when we were talking to Jim Callis from out uh, in Arizona, and he was mentioning uh, curveballs, and it just got me to thinking, because this is a... Popped in my head periodically. He mentioned Burt Blylevin, who I think right. has the greatest curveball, certainly in all my years yeah. watching baseball. Right. Who else? Who else uh, w- w- sticks out to you? I mean, Steve Stone well, is another I mean, you guy. Know, uh, th- he mentioned, uh, you know, uh, Jim mentioned uh, Dwight Gooden, and certainly, and Stoney had great breaking stuff. I mean, wonderful. Helped him win the Cy Young yeah, that year. Yeah, no doubt. But he, he also said that it cost him the rest of his career. Interesting. Because he said he threw about 40% breaking balls in 1980 when he won the Cy Young Award. And within a year and a half, he was a broadcaster mm-hmm. and a very excellent one. It's worked out. Yeah, it's worked out really well. But, I mean, there, you know, there's been great pitchers uh, who threw breaking balls. Warren Spahn threw a great curveball. He threw a great uh, screwball, which is a reverse curveball, you know, where you, you turn your arm inward and the ball goes the other way. A lot of torque on the elbow when you throw that pitch. A lot of people don't survive it. I try to throw that, you know, back in my non-illustrious baseball career myself. I couldn't do it. Well, you, you're, you're going to hurt your elbow most of the time. You, you kind of have to be double-jointed to be able to do it. The greatest pitcher in history Fernando. for uh, screwball recently was Fernando, but also a guy by the name of Carl Hubble mm-hmm. uh, back in the uh, 20s and 30s who was famous for throwing in the first All-Star game, striking out the first five hitters, including Gehrig and Ruth and Fox. So uh, that is, that is a very difficult pitch to throw, and you don't you don't see a lot of people throwing it. Uh, they they throw a, a a version of it now with less torque in the elbow, and it's you know just gripping it differently and standing at a different point of the rubber to get you know the pitch that Greg Maddox made so famous, where you'd see the ball start at the left hander's hip and then all of a sudden dovetail across you know very quickly across the plate. And of course, there have been so many, and I don't want to call them trick pitches because any pitch that gets you out is a good pitch, obviously. I mean, there's been the knuckle curve by Bert Hooten. There's been yeah, the splitter. Uh, the, splitter. the first time I saw Bruce Suter throw that pitch that he got, he just befuddled everybody and befuddled people even watching it on TV because it literally looked like it dropped off a table. Right. Bruce it, Suter used to throw that pitch. And, and the, the interesting backstory to that is he was a struggling fastball mm-hmm. pitcher in the Cubs minor league system and guy by the name of Fred Martin, who had been around for a million years as a coach there, said, let me see your hands. And Suter had exceptionally long fingers uh, for the guy, for the size of the guy that he was. He said, 
I'm going to give you a pitch, and it's either going to help you save your career or you're done because he was throwing 86-mile-an-hour fastballs. And the splitter was the pitch, and as you said, David, it was a, a ball that initially dropped so significantly that it was impossible for, for hitters to, to really gear up. After an injury or two, Suter was a little bit more hittable, but the Hall of Fame was eventually his calling. You know, it's really amazing thinking about this, Bruce. There are some pitchers who are just noted for certain pitches. Obviously, Suter with, with the split-finger fastball and, and uh, Blylevin with the curveball. Um, Mariano Rivera with, what, the cut fastball? Cut fastball, which has been the the pitch of the 2000s, you know, and Certainly Don Cooper of the White Sox has been, uh, you know, somebody that has really driven that and helped a lot of pitchers uh, save their career and further it by teaching uh, them the the cut fastball. And then, of course, there's all these pitchers who just had the straight knuckleball over all the years, and you can think of a slew of them. Yeah. Uh, Wilbur Wood. Yeah, and- Tim, Tim Wakefield most, yep. and most recently, and... Uh, you know, Charlie Huff, you know, won 200 games as a knuckleball pitcher. So it's it's interesting how in baseball, uh, it's not always power. It's uh, being able to consistently trick somebody or use the finesse that you learn to be able to be a, a Hall of Fame type player. Or location, 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 location. Greg Maddox, if right. I thought of one thing about him, right. precision and location. Tom Glavin as well, yep. you know, very much so. I mean, they both threw hard when they first came up, but that was not what made them 300-game winners. That's not what made them Hall of Famers. Speaking of that, David, as we mentioned, the awards were given out this week, and Jacob. Jacob DeGrom became the first Cy Young Award winner, who uh, a starting pitcher who only won 10 games, okay? Your thoughts on the difference between DeGrom, who wins 10, has phenomenal numbers all the way across the board, 177 ERA, uh, never gave up more than three runs in a game except once all year, as opposed to Max Scherzer, who had the wins, the 20-win season, the same strikeouts, but uh, not quite the same ERA, uh, a point under, and not as uh, quite as efficient, gave up more home runs, but yet had the wins. Uh, how, how do you slice and dice it? Well, it's interesting. Um, well, first of all, he was, what, 13-12, and 12, if I'm not mistaken, DeGrom with a one seven zero. No, he won 10 games. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of Felix Hernandez. I'm right. sorry. I jumped ahead of myself. Felix Hernandez won the American League Cy Young at 13-12 and 12 with an ERA of like 2.2 or something like that. So there's, right. there is a precedent of winning a Cy yeah. Young with a lot less pit, uh, wins. I'm just wondering, Bruce, and I'll throw this out to you and everybody out there, what if Jacob DeGrom pitched for, like, say, the San Diego Padres? He had the exact same numbers. Now, obviously, New York is still, what, you know, still the center of the universe in major leagues. Um, would he have won the Cy Young if he did that for the San Diego Padres? Well, uh, you know, they don't get the exposure, mm-hmm. certainly not. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, in a, in, a very, in a very small market with not too many people knowing who he was, Snell won the American League version. So maybe that answers your question. How many people pay attention to Tampa Bay baseball, even though they had a uh, a team that really contended, uh, kind of surprisingly so this year? I don't know how many uh, of them know who Snell was or ever watched him pitch. Yet he won 21 and lost five, had a low ERA, and eventually won the Cy Young in the American League. So I guess uh, the baseball writers of America were paying attention because – a name like that could happen, but I don't think people in Chicago could pick him out of a uh, lineup. I, I don't think so. Well, who would you have picked in both leagues? 
I liked Snell. I thought it was a good pick. Okay. And then I would have picked Scherzer. And again, I would have been wrong, just like I was wrong picking Joe Madden. Why was I wrong? Because social media said I was wrong. Okay. (laughs) And we know that's all that counts now. But in in reality, I would have picked Scherzer because he was there for those 20 wins. He, He was a power pitcher on a more competitive team than New York was. It wasn't. You know, the point that DeGrom won, it was because people said, well, it wasn't his fault that he only won 10 games. He was on a crummy team. They didn't score runs. But to me, you know, the accomplishment of winning 20 games, of putting your team toward being a championship team, I, you know, I don't punish Scherzer because he won two before. I think some people did, though. Yeah, I, I agree. It's like, oh, you know, we're tired of voting for you because you're great every year. We want... uh something a little bit uh, out of the ordinary and, you know, not to take away from anything from DeGrom because he was great, but I like the wins. Most people say wins are insignificant when giving out awards now, because it, it doesn't really indicate uh, what the team was all about. And the pitcher is being punished because he didn't win enough games. How about the argument that some people throw out there? And I, you know, I can go both ways on this one, that the starting pitcher should not be included in the MVP award of which DeGrom got a bunch of second place votes, if I'm not mistaken. Right. And uh, Verlander won, was it two years ago? He won uh, for what he did as a starting pitcher. I kind of agree that uh, starting pitchers, Shouldn't, but I mean, sometimes when you don't have a great candidate as far as a position player goes, and you have these exceptional years where somebody wins 25 games and dominates, I understand it. I think relief pitchers are more uh, applicable to because they're out there that, more often. Because yeah, they're they're like everyday players. You take a guy like like Ciszek uh, for the Cubs this year. I don't think there was a more valuable player on the Chicago Cubs than Steve Ciszek. Why? Because he went out there 80 times as a relief pitcher, half the games, and I would say 65 to 70 times that he went out there, he was totally effective in his role. To me, a guy that contributes that much and uh, you know, you're a dominant relief pitcher in today's game – I think you get you get votes for Cy, for Cy Young and MVP. Did not Willie Hernandez win the Cy Young and the MVP? Right. For the Tigers, not for the Cubs. Right. He won them both. I mean, it's been done before. Uh, Denny McLean won it in 1968. Bob Gibson won it in 1968. They had dominant years. That was the year of the pitcher. That's uh, After that year, they lowered the pitching mound because pitching was too dominant. All right, Bruce, the bottom of the hour brought to you by Northwestern Football. Don't miss your chance to catch the Cats at Ryan Field. Northwestern hosting Illinois. That's one week from today. It's senior day. Tickets on sale now at nusports.com. And we have another special guest on hold right now. I'm going to let you do the introduction. We do. Uh, a longtime friend and a great scout in Major League Baseball works for the Arizona Diamondbacks. A Southeast Sider originally. And uh, certainly uh, that never dies out of the heart of our good friend, Bill Brick, joining us on Inside the Clubhouse. Good morning, Bricky. How are you today? I'm doing great. I, I bought a snowblower and I, when I got back from the fall league, and I had to use it the very next day. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's start right there, Bill. You, you were at the Arizona Fall League. You cover uh, the American League Central and the National League Central for the Arizona Diamondbacks. But you're there looking at young prospects. So. Uh, who, who was the best player that you saw in the uh, in the Arizona Fall League? Well, at times I thought I was watching the Instructional League, but uh, uh, 
I saw some good ones uh, that have a bright future. Uh, one in particular, uh, a pitcher that uh, in the Toronto organization, uh, a kid named Pearson, uh, 22-year-old guy that uh, pitched in the All-Star game. Um, and I, if if I just saw him for the one inning, I would say he's definitely going to be a, a late-inning uh, reliever. But I went and saw him again, um, and he pitched four clean innings and no walks, no hits, um, you know, no earn, no actually no runs. He was clean for four innings, struck out five, no, you know. So I I had to change my mind. I said I I keep him as a starter, and plus uh, he was in the All Star game. I mean, there was a, a lot of scouts there, and he. He was. He never got below 99, and he and uh, he was a little wild, but you know he's he's only 22, and uh, then the next time I saw him, he, he was all clean. So, hey Billy, good to talk to you. Of course, uh, I know one of the other players that you saw out there in Arizona was Luis Robert, and we talked to Jim Callis a little bit earlier in the show. He said that you know he had to battle some injuries while he was out there, meaning. Um, meaning Robert, but while he was out there, he was impressive. What did you see from him? And I'll ask you the same question I asked of Jim Callis. Where do you ultimately, he's probably two years away from the majors, maybe even more, I don't know, but where do you see him fitting in both defensively and where in the order? Well, that's a good question. He um, He's a good athlete, um, very good athlete, um, and you know, we'll have to start back. You know, when when I was playing in the '60s and uh, the early '70s, uh, you had the trust was earned. You had, and uh, you know, it's now it seems like if you get the money, they push you to the big leagues, and and I don't think that's fair because you know to the kid or or the other players because you know they. Uh, you know, trust is earned. You have to prove that you can play at the highest level. So, um, and I think when you when you rush some of these guys to the major leagues, uh, they don't do as well. And then you think you made a bad choice, you know. And then if they trade them or 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 they're taken in the Rule Five draft, somebody else gets them and and uh, gives them more time. And uh, then you have a star. When I was with the Pirates. We would sign good athletes all the time, and if they learned to hit, you had stars. So, uh, in fact, I was just uh, talking to one that I, that I pitched against in the New York Penn League, a, a, a gentleman named Ed Ott, which you probably right catcher uh, played a long time, all star, yes, and yep. he could and he hit. My parents were there in the New York Penn League when he was playing. I was playing for the Geneva Senators, and he was playing, I think, for the Erie Pirates, and. He hit three balls off me, long and deep, <laughs> and uh, you know. So he, it's good to see him. Uh, good to talk to him again. But um, uh, and he had to work. You know, he was he was signed as an outfielder, and then he became a catcher. And he he's one of the better hitting catchers uh, at that time. So let's uh, Bill. Let's uh, get to the White Sox and Cubs. You cover both of them. Uh, I wrote a story on our website, 670 The Score, a week ago about the fact that Whit Merrifield, uh, the second baseman for the Royals, and also plays some outfield, 
would be the ideal acquisition. And considering that Kansas City is in rebuild mode at at 29 and 30, uh, they would probably be more than willing to trade him in a very good package. What type of skill set does uh, Merrifield have? Well, you know what? I saw him in his first game. I was covering uh, the White Sox in Kansas City at Comiskey Park, and he, uh, his parents were there, and I'm sure he was nervous. He had a good day. I think he got a hit the first time at bat, and um, the rest is history because he's gotten – he's a very versatile defender. Uh, he could play uh, – he's best at second, but he can play center in all the outfield positions. He could play third if he has to, and he can play short. I would say he'd be – an average defender at short, but he's a plus defender at second. You know, and 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 his hitting has got better every season. You can, you don't have to take my opinion. You can look at it. You know, and he's gotten better as a hitter. So, um, you know, and I know I know we have at the Diamondbacks we have a lot of infielders right now. So, but he's uh, he's a guy. You know, who knows? You know, who's going to be traded and who's going to be staying. You, you, we're gonna, you know, we'll, we'll all be talking at the winter meetings, I'm sure. And we're talking to uh, Bill Brook, who's a scout, Bill Brick, rather, who's a scout for the Arizona Diamondbacks. We're talking Cubs and White Sox, and of course, Bill, you see a lot of both teams during the season. I want to ask you about one specific pitcher, and we've talked about this before: Ronaldo Lopez for the White Sox. At times this past season, incredibly dominant with that upper 90s fastball, and he had a stretch there where you know they couldn't touch him. Conversely, he had other stretches where he was pretty wild. His pitch count was really high. And so is this just the maturation of a young pitcher? Because I think his ceiling is pretty damn high. Well, you're right about that. And and that's what I'm saying, talking about. I mean, you know, it's you got to let him, you know, get. they got to be ready to get to the major leagues. Because back in the day, AAA was really close to the big leagues. Now it's a lot longer. You know, because guys are right. There was only 16 teams when I was uh, when I was playing, and I I probably would never have made it. But uh, now there's 30, and guys are rushed. And uh, I, you know, I, I I don't know which teams are. Uh, you know, some teams uh, have a surplus of good young players, and you know, like Boston. Um, and but I, I love the competition. Competition breeds success. I, I, some of my my I learned that uh, when I got released the third time. So, but uh, uh, I, you know, do you, I, like, uh, do you like Lopez? And what what do you think he's uh, what his ceiling is? Well, he could be a you know a, he could be a top of the rotation starter. or could be a late inning guy. So when you. Uh, w- Bill, thanks for joining us. Uh, one more question on the Cubs. You have Chris Bryant coming back from an injury. There's been rumors out there about him being traded. If you're uh, sitting down with a general manager and they're talking about Chris Bryant, you know he had a shoulder injury. What do you have to know? What do you have to see about him before you'd say, you know what, we can take a chance. We know he's one of the most elite players in the game when he's healthy. Well, I'll tell you, his makeup is is great. He's a great kid, and uh, well, he's not a kid anymore. But uh, he's a great competitor. Um, you know, I would, I would love to have him um, because he's a great competitor, and he, and he, when healthy, he'll hit for both power and average. 
and he'll be a great defender at third or or even in center field he'll be at least an average center fielder so and plus in the corners i would say too Bill, uh, David and I appreciate your time. Keep up the great work. Thanks for joining us and inside the clubhouse, adding your expertise. We appreciate it. And we'll see you out at the uh, winter meetings here pretty soon in Las Vegas. Well, I'll be there. And uh, I, I'm, I'm, it's my pleasure to be on your show. Thank All you, right. Billy. Thanks, Bill. Bill Brick of the Arizona Diamondbacks joining us on Inside the Clubhouse. You as well, the driving force of this show at 312-644-6767. David and I will continue to talk to you all about Chicago baseball, Harper news, Machado news, everything going on with the Cubs and White Sox as well. I want to run down some of the free agents. Obviously, Bruce, and we'll do this right after the break. I mean, the main ones obviously are Harper and Machado, but there are some other names, and I'll be curious, Bruce, your thoughts, if maybe the White Sox or Cubs steer in a different direction from those two guys, because there are some other names here on the list. This is not an extensive list of great free agents, but there's always guys that can help your team. We're going to talk about that. 312-644-6767. We'll be back right after this. 1047, welcome back in to Inside the Clubhouse for Saturday, November 17th. I'm David Schuster. He's Bruce Levine. We want to talk a little bit about uh, the rest of the free agents. Obviously, Bryce Harper and Manny Machado are getting all the headlines, and they're going to make a lot of money with somebody, Bruce. But there are some other names on the list. Patrick Corbin is also going to make some money. Uh, I think he's probably one of the top two pitchers in demand, and supposedly the Yankees are hot about him. But I'm curious if there's any other names on this list, well, if, if the Cubs and White Sox to go, don't go after the top two There guys. were stories written this week about Andrew McCutcheon uh, being a outfielder for the Chicago Cubs. Hmm. And they're interested in adding a veteran outfielder who obviously is not the player that he was when he was the MVP about five years ago. He's still a good outfielder at three positions. He's a right-handed hitter. He's a top-flight individual that will add nothing but class to a team. But, uh, you know, if you can get a guy like that on a one-year deal, you know, maybe five or $7 million, uh, does that enhance you building your team from the back forward like you try to do? Try to build your bullpen, try to build your bench. You already have a strong group of players already uh, in your system on the 25-man roster. Does that make sense to you? Uh, it does. Uh, obviously, you have to make some alterations to the rest of your roster if you're the Cubs and you're considering doing that. I mean, uh, he, he would become, I guess, your starting center fielder. Is that the way you would be looking no, at that? No, I wouldn't. I would no. look at him as a, uh, a platoon guy, somebody that would play center field sometimes, play left field, go in as a defensive replacement uh, later in games. Uh, add you a little bit more speed, uh, not as fast as he used to be, but still runs well. And uh, maybe sometimes platooning with um, your right fielder. Okay. Um, I mean, uh, does does Hayward still, you know, after showing that he's consistently eight homers and 55 RBIs, is that, does that warrant for part of the rest of his career with the Cubs him being a platoon player? A lot of money for a platoon player. Well, well the, the answer is, how do you get optimum amount out of the position? That's a good question. Yeah, I mean, uh, you're, they're going to have to pay it anyway. Yes, they are. Okay. Or somebody. Maybe they, so, can, maybe they can put him in a deal. I don't know. On I, the White Sox side, um, the story is is that, um, according to my sources, Jay Happ mm-hmm. uh, is a guy that they're interested in. Why Happ? Well, they're looking for somebody like James Shields, who doesn't give up the crooked number uh, once of an inning. I mean, James, I thought, pitched great. He was one of 
13 pitchers in Major League Baseball to throw 200 innings last year. Think about that. 13 pitchers only through 200 innings. That means you're averaging six innings a start. Everybody else in Major League Baseball averaged less. James went into the uh, seventh beyond seventh and beyond uh, more times than everybody except three pitchers. But they're looking for somebody that can win more consistently. Yeah. And Jay Happ has that type of uh, – persona he's also has the background where he's been on playoff teams before so that's the type of pitcher they're looking at and also the Sox are looking at relief pitchers they need to start bringing in a viable bullpen to try to win games uh last year they weren't trying to win games they were trying to develop starting pitchers all right speaking of pitchers um Matt Harvey's available although I think he's looking for a multi-year deal and I don't see either the Cubs or White Sox going in that direction Zach Britton is a free agent and the Cubs have been hot to trot for him seemingly for a half a dozen years he's at least a possibility on the north side I would say that's true uh they have to add they're they're losing uh Wilson who uh you know maybe sometimes made you nervous but was a very efficient for him uh left-handed wise you know, you don't know if um, um, if some of their pitchers are going to come back and have good years. Uh, from the right side, they seem okay. You know, they still have to make sure that um, Morrow comes back healthy. They have Strope coming back healthy. Edwards was a little bit of a head case this year. You wonder where he's at. But uh, they have to add to their bullpen as well, and that, that's going to be a part of their offseason. Another guy whose name is on the list who has at least been linked to the Cubs, DJ LeMahieu, if they decide to add a second baseman, what are the chances there? Well, you know, David, you, at 38, even though he's coming off of a great year, Ben Zobrist, what has he got left in the tank? How many games can you play him? Can he play more than 115 or 20 uh, is he actually a guy that would uh, help another team more than he would help you because you need more of an everyday second baseman if indeed Russell is not a part of the everyday mix and Baez is your starting shortstop? If that's the case, uh, you know, a guy like LeMayu makes sense for the for the Cubs. Uh, you sign him to a three-year deal. He came up in their system. Uh, ill-fated trade for Ian Stewart. He's been an all-star a few times. He led the league in hitting two years ago. He's a good player. You have to consider his numbers in Coors Field as opposed to playing all your home games at Wrigley. And here's one more name, and I say this incredibly with tongue-in-cheek. Bartolo Colon, who's 45 going on 80. <laughs> I say that kiddingly. But I honestly Is that for our team here at the score or for the uh, Cubs or White yeah, Sox? Yeah, the score softball team, absolutely. Bartolo Colon is is just, uh, oh boy, he's a... He's, uh, He's incredible. He's 45. Again, supposedly he's 45. He might be older than that. I think he's going to challenge Julio Franco. Franco played until what age? Uh, 49. 49. Yeah. I think I think in Cologne's mind, he's right. going to try and play to who is 50. Yep. Um, I would say it's a possibility. He's still effective. He did at times have yeah. some effectiveness yeah, last he, year. He Absolutely. Did. He knows how to pitch. We know that, you know, after being in the major leagues for 23 or 24 years. It's a fun story. I mean, only in baseball – as we talk about with your expertise in certain things that you do, can you continue to be a viable baseball athlete? You couldn't do it in football unless you're a kicker. You couldn't do it in basketball because you couldn't make it up and down the court. <laughs> you couldn't make it in hockey. So, I mean, you know, the, you know, Gordie Howe and uh, 
Bobby Hall played until their 40s. They they were great players, but they were phenomenal stars and phenomenal athletes to begin with. Yeah. All right, so Bertalo Colon's not coming here. Dallas Keuchel's going to end up with a here, lot of money from somebody, Here's too. an interesting player, A.J. Pollock. Oh, yeah. He's an outstanding player. He's had some injury play years, uh, 31 years old. If the Cubs are looking to add someone at the top of the order with power, a good, uh, outstanding center fielder, I mean, really, what what is the Cubs – center field situation who who is that guy i mean you know you you certainly have uh you know people that can do the role but they weren't quite everyday players for you last year so hap doesn't fill that role for you every day theo epstein's going to do something this offseason i don't know what it is just yet but i'm confident in saying that he's going to do something and yeah. it might open up some eyes all right well, bruce we got special uh, thanks yeah we do go, all right go ahead jim callis who joined us at 9 30 dylan sees looking forward to seeing him on the mound but we had a chance to talk to him at 10 o'clock and bill brick at 10 30 bruce i appreciate you allowing me to sit in and i will do this again next week sounds great david uh people can follow me on mlb Bruce Levine on Twitter. Also on our website, I write Cubs and Sox five or six times a week at 670thescore.com. Have a great week, David, and I will see you next week. All right, look forward to it. We'll be back uh, after the top of the hour. That's when Steve Rosenblum and Saturday Suckage comes your way. Why? Why? If you have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion.